0: I will be the first to tell you I have a degree in Oprah. I watched every episode of Oprah for 25 years. And, you know, that four o'clock show helped a lot of people navigate their life. So some of my sourcing in terms of my methodologies come from Mother Teresa, Love Oprah, it. Ayanna Van Zant, Gary Zukav, thought leaders who were out there who were helping people in manners that were unorthodox.
1: That was Mike Skrow, and this is Guild Stories. Welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story and it's the stories that connect us all. I am Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content. We are so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we will explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Hey there! Welcome back to Guild Stories. I'm joined today. Um, selfishly, probably going to get a little uh, free coaching out of this deal, <laughs> so uh, I'm pumped to have Mike Scro, uh, the the well-renowned, uh, certainly at least in in uh, the Syracuse, New York area. So, um, Mike, I guess by by way of like quick context. First, super pumped and grateful that you would join us and share your wisdom with us today. Um, And second, um, we kind of found each other through Colin Potter and Matt Reed and Devin Simmons and Stephanie Crockett and this, like, cool little pocket of Syracuse big-hearted marketing and empathetic professionals. So, uh, man, thanks for being with us today, man.
0: Thank you so much. I mean, really, it's a treat and an honor to be included amongst the people you just mentioned. Uh, They are area rock stars and superheroes. And so just to be associated is an honor myself. So thank you.
1: Yeah, of course. The only regret I have is um, us, you know, and and with all of this cool little Syracuse pocket of influence that we've, found ourselves in is, uh, not being able to be face to face, but so be it. Here we are. Um, so for those who, who aren't aware of you just maybe set the sure. stage real quick. Like, what do you, what, what's, what's the, the Michael Scro leadership coaching journey? Like what do you do? How do you help folks today?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I just would sum it up with one phrase. I help people how to people. Mm. I help people how to people. Uh, at it's basic level, that's really sort of where I spend my time. And uh, I see myself as a helper, and i have always sort of oriented towards uh, helping people. And, you know, you know, we all have these people in our families and our circles that are the people that everyone uh, confides everything in.
2: <laughs> mm, yeah.
0: And I've always sort of been that person in my community, in my family, wherever I live, my circle of friends. Um, and at work, you know, I, I spent 20 years in higher education. I worked at college campuses in Central New York and New York City uh, for 20 years, and uh, sort of discovered that I was a good helper. Mm. And mostly, the things I was helping people with in terms of advice or know-how was always people-oriented. Mm. And um, and so I just found myself in a, um, a series of opportunities helping people. And uh, now today, I spend. You know, my full-time gig is to help folks with people scenarios and helping unlock really their own potential. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, there's sort of a lot of bad rap for coaching, you know, that it's just um, elite and giving advice. Um, and I wanted to make it more accessible to people and it be transformational. And so I spend my time helping people unlock their potential and transform, you know, uh, a consultant you know, really is very different than a coach and a consultant really just gives people answers without sort of understanding how to perform those answers. (laughs) They're just the answers. And so when I do training in particular, I don't feel like it's transformational. It's really it takes about a you know, a year or so to work with folks to unlock their potential because they have to really understand themselves. So um I'd say I focus on people skills, leadership development, certainly business development, you know, and how to run a better business. Um, But it always relies on people to do that. You know, it's not, I'm helping people with their sales funnel, I'm helping the people with their people who run their sales funnel. You Mm. know what I mean? Mm. And so it's really uh, skill development, transformation, and um, really got into it because I'm a good helper and, and, uh, and that's how people showed up in my world. That's so great! So I said, "Why not make a profession
1: out of it?" You know, that's just so great. I, there's so much to unpack there. One, one to, to jump in, like that is a damn strong, like value prop line. I help people how to people. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's just uh-huh. so it's so uh, it's so clear. It's so encompassing and um, and really, you know I've written this like random blog post about like everything actually is super personal. Like you you hear these people talk about well, it's not, it's not personal. It's business. I'm like, come on, man. Like it's all (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. your business is made up of a bunch of humans. Like, of course it's personal. Um, so, so it's wonderful. It's a wonderful jumping in point. Um, how did you obviously spent the 20 years in, in higher ed and and people showed up to be helped just naturally. Like Mm -hmm. what was your, um, entry point towards your own thing? Like, how did you kind of formalize a business around this?
0: You know, it actually, actually happened in a you? very interesting way because I just think, you know, you sort of wake up, so If you're going to start your own business. You just sort of wake up to it. You don't just sort of, you know, um, fall into it. I don't find like mm. you could be really good at your widget, right? Whatever you're making, but to make a business out of it, you have to be good at, you know, running a business, right? It's not just the widget itself. And so I sort of stumbled into it in the, in from a understanding standpoint. Uh, when I got an award from my alma mater, it was uh, my 20th reunion in college. And I'm sitting, like, listening to all the other awardees get their award and feeling really lousy about my award. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just felt like everyone was changing the world. And I'm, like, you know, getting an award for Facebooking really well and, and getting people together to party. You know, and I felt like really, like, I wasn't really serving my purpose, mm. you know. Uh, Despite it was really a nice award, it was really great to give back to my school and all that kind of jazz. But listening to the stories of the other people, I was like, wow, they're really taking what they've learned from our college and their education um, and applying it in really purposeful ways. Mm. And so uh, that day I actually quit my job. That day, like
1: literally that day.
0: Literally that day. Uh, now, I, I had to unpack it over a few days you sure. know, to kind of do all the, the notes and all the things. But it was a state position, left a pension, left a lot of good money, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, said, I need to serve this. You know, it was sort of nice. like I was turned on by hearing these other stories and saying, you know what, I need to do something more. And I, I know, and I didn't know what that was going to be exactly, but I knew I had a calling or some sort of something I needed to do that was bigger than what I was doing, mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's sort of how it started. And then I just sat in coffee shops uh, for a whole summer listening to what was being said around me as I was sort of brainstorming what I was going to do next. And what I, what I realized, everyone was talking about how much they hated everyone else at work.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> and, I, I mean, it was men with men, women with women. Uh, groups of men with women, mm. <laughs> women with men. Mm. Everyone was saying how awful it was, or what so and so was doing, and I was like, you know what? I can help with that because I had been helping with that, mm. you know, and um, and I sort of had been landlocked in sort of a college campus, you know, to sort of only help the people that were there, and so starting my own business was an opportunity to help anyone anywhere, and um, and there's and it's only been. Wonderful. uh, Since I made that decision, Um, but I was also prone to uh, quit jobs without jobs. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of people say, "Wow, that's really brave and you know remarkable." I'm like, "No, not for me." I've sort of just done that. Kind of a habit. It started off with my paper uh, route as a kid. (laughs) You know, I was uh, maybe 13 years old. uh, Started when I was 11, and I just woke up one day and said, "I'm quitting. Mm. This is not taking me anywhere." Yep. I'm out and so I've done this before and so, uh, so that's sort of like how it sort of started it just sort of started with um, acknowledging sort of you know capstone year of my career and seeing what I was doing and then uh, paying attention to what other people were doing and then sort of paying attention to what the market needed mm. and sort of landed there
1: that's beautiful when was that
0: 2017
1: okay okay So, yeah, I mean, 20, 20 years in to a successful, stable, high profile gig to pull the, Mm -hmm. pull the rip cord then it's, I mean, I love the paper, the paper route story, but that's a different context, right? So like there's, there's responsibilities and, you know, Mm -hmm. all the stuff that comes with being 20 years into a career. So like, um, man, that's, that's cool. That's really powerful. That's neat. Thanks for sharing.
0: Yeah, and, you know, and I will say for good measure, for the, the role that I had, <laughs> I, that day wasn't the last day. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I did unpack it over a period of time and leaving everyone in good shape. And, and, and the good news, PS, too, was grooming the next leader who took my job, wow. you know, was sort of a priority well in advance. That's always been my motto in terms of the organizations I worked at. I was always thinking about who's going to get my job and helping people achieve that, you know, and so that's that's sort of what I took away from my organizational work, um, having been on college campuses, is that there was always somebody to take my place. You yeah. know, there was there was there was someone who's being brought up, mentored, supported, and so I felt great about that. And even the jobs they left um prior to that.
1: That's awesome. Um, of course you did, because you're a helper. <laughs> of course you did. That's great. Um, it, so what were the first, you know, after some coffee shop observations and some, um, hey, everybody's like gathering around complaining about their coworkers, right? Like what were, what were some of your practical, you know, steps into, hey, like here's a, here's a journey you can go on to, to allow me to help you with this stuff? Like what was, what were maybe some of the first attempts at um, either, you know, whatever it is, formalizing or standing up like a a practice around these ideas.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, some of the things I had already been pursuing, you know, when I worked at NYU in the business school, um, I was uh, helping MBAs, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, with their leadership skills. And I ran the student activities area there where we, you know, during my time there, you know, was part of, uh, 50 business conferences in New York city. We're helping students achieve those conferences and bringing in thought leaders and developing their best practices as business professionals. You know, so a lot of the work I had been doing in education proper sort of forms, you know, when people ask me today, you know, truly who you are, I would say I'm an educator,
2: Mm. you know, that
0: doesn't always get like uh, a great billing within the business, sector, right? <laughs> right, when you call yourself an educator, uh, but that's who I see myself as because of my upbringing in education, mm. and so I think some of those prerequisites, the things that I was doing, was already there, or I was cultivating. Um, I had gotten a, a project management certification from the American Management Association in like 2004, because uh, we ran a lot of stuff when I was <laughs> at NYU, you know, the largest private university in the country. Um, you know, $2 million budget just for our orientation, <laughs> you know,
2: Whoa. there was
0: a lot of things that I had to run that I didn't, I wouldn't say I was the business savvy person, you know, in terms of numbers. <laughs> so anything that helped me sort of get that sort of brain mm-hmm. uh, analytical side, I sort of cultivated, you know, during my career at higher ed. Um, but then post that, you know, it's just sort of lining myself up as a coach. I did get a business coaching certification, um, I did get a certification in uh, a human behavior assessment is one of the main assessments I use to sort of measure leadership. Um, I became more versed in emotional intelligence proper, uh, partnered with a company that runs assessments. Um, so I spent a lot of time sort of looking at what are the tools that were necessary for uh, helping people. Mm. Um, and a lot of the stuff I sort of pursued were also non-traditional methodologies. So, you know, I, I will be the first to tell you I have a degree in Oprah. <laughs> All right. I watched every episode of Oprah for 25 years. And so I'm not sure if there's a certification in it. I hope she does present one one day because I would get it. Yeah. <laughs> but That's I have a millions
1: of, of others, right?
0: Of some thought leaders who were out there who mm. were helping people in manners that were unorthodox. Mm. You know, that four o'clock show for folks helps a lot of people navigate their life.
2: Yeah, that's right. You know?
0: So so some of my sourcing in terms of my methodology has come from Mother Teresa,
2: <laughs>
0: Oprah, Ayama Van Zandt, Gary Zukov, mm. people who are paying attention to like, you know, principles and universal things mm. that I've sort of weaved into the work in terms of how I do the work with people. It's not just, uh, here's a bunch of business guys and traditional methodology, but really sourcing some of these things from maybe places that people wouldn't think of.
1: I love it. That's so cool. How You've used so many amazing phrases that I've filled up a a full sheet of notes already, but I want to hit a couple and and hear your thoughts on it. When you talk about, well, let's just say it this way. Um, If I were to come see you and say, hey, really struggling with my... Fill in the blank leadership style. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling with um, team, uh, you know, gossip or backstabbing mm-hmm. or culture is probably the nicer way to phrase it. Um, mm-hmm. There's some stuff happening here, and I, I'm I'm kind of a mess, and I, I need help. Right? I, I'm sure yeah. there's some version of that where folks come see you. You you, sure. you use this phrase um, understanding yourself is kind of the starting point. Like what, what what's the journey for? someone like me as, as they come and engage with you?
0: Yeah, so I I, um, I look at intersections of things. Oftentimes, you know, in our society right now, everyone has one answer that's supposed to be the answer to everything, <laughs> right? right? We look at an issue and we're like, it's this side yep. answer that's yep. the right answer. And For everyone in answer. the whole world, yeah, like, right. We've just boiled it down to one answer about stuff. and So I look at everything in intersections because, uh, we have to look at all of this in 3D, not just one answer, like what I did yesterday. Well, what you did yesterday or days before that or what you're going to do all adds up. You know what I mean? So, isn't about one activity, one conversation that you had that went south, right? We want to first understand your just sort of human behavior. What's your behavior profile? Mm. Um, because what I know about human behavior is it's predictable. And so, once we understand you, and what's predictable about you when you're stressed out, then we could do something with that, you know? And so I'd say our first phase of sort of the work is looking at, well, first, what's your goal? You know, do you want to be a better leader? Do you want to make more money? Do you want to be in a better profession that's more aligned with your purpose? You know, Mm
2: -hmm. it really doesn't
0: matter what the goals are because if you can augment your human behavior to get what you need, then you're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. And so it really doesn't matter what the goal is. Ultimately, and that scares a lot of business people when I say that, because like, no, why aren't we paying you
1: to help us with our business? It's outcome-based, that, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But
0: but it's a human being performing it, mm. right? That goal is performed by a human being. And so what we know for sure is that human behavior is predictable, and, um, and we can predict it in times of stress or pressure. Mm. And so once we understand that, then we can predict how other people are going to respond to stuff and um, augment or pivot our own, you know, I say modulate, you know, also in terms of behavior. So if I know like I always run a meeting and I start the agenda, finish the agenda <laughs> and no one else speaks, well, I might attempt to run a meeting where someone else might run the agenda mm-hmm. or maybe I'll wait to speak, right? These are all behavioral things. Yeah. And so we look at all of that to start experimenting with ways in which we can modify or change and then build, successful habits, right? Ultimately, all of our behavior is uh, designed to um, get to our goals uh, successfully. So I would tell people that I don't really give them um, a list of things that they need to do. (laughs) They're experimenting, right? Because we'll want you to be more effective or more productive. There really is no right or wrong, you know? And so I have a lot of clients. I have a client right now who... (laughs) He was dealing with some challenge, and he's like, "Uh, I'm here today because I want you to tell me exactly what I need to do with this meeting later today. I'm like, no, what do you think you should do? Mm. Because otherwise, I'm the one doing the meeting. That's right. Right? And so he needs to unlock what he already knows to do it so that he doesn't need me his whole life. Right? As a coach, I'm here to help support you on your journey, uh, help you activate the tools that you already have. So that you can be successful forever, you know, and most coaches don't charge you your lifetime wealth, a percentage of that. <laughs> one.
2: right? But,
0: you know, I could if that's really what I want to do. But I, I show up as a period of your life where you're ready to hear and ready to change and are motivated to do so. And so the behavioral lens is our first sort of uh, space that we sort of activate and look at and start talking about.
1: It's amazing. I love that. I, it, you said it well, and I was you kind of led me to the question that I was trying to formulate here, which was, the the majority of the folks that come see you have have been through the point where they're most likely in a lot of pain and and fairly, um, I think I could say it this way, like asleep to themselves, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. where, where you use this language a lot of of understanding. Yourself, like having the the awareness to walk into your own story to some degree, and of course that's like ever unfolding and ever growing in awareness. But um, how? Why is it that so many people stay locked in their? Um, what's the best way to say it? Locked in their own patterns, Yeah, or their yeah. own pattern, their own story, the whatever. Like, what prevents lots of folks from even desiring yeah. to be unlocked?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, part of it is it's not always pain. It's, it's mm-hmm. comfortable. That's right. And so the other P is plateau, right? So if people plateau and are just sort of, like, comfortable with that plateau. And so they're like, it's like a low-grade fever. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go get some medicine or see the doctor, but. I could deal with it. You know what I mean? And so sometimes the pain isn't enough for people to force them to change, you know? So a lot of people I work with are really motivated to move out of their plateau. Some people have immediate pain, but I will tell you this, and it's going to sound a little crazy, uh, but it's usually um, not real. It's usually not real. The pain they're causing, they're usually responsible for Mm. Mm. Um, that's been what I found. and I'll tell you why. this is why. Um, most people um, struggle with the fact that they double down on their strengths when they shouldn't. Mm. And this creates a new blind spot. you know, so the way I like to talk about that is um, I'm uh, someone who's naturally inspirational. I love inspiration speak. that's like my jam. <laughs> um, but like when helping a client or working, I can't just use inspiration speak. Sometimes I have to use analytical ways of communicating or sharing facts and information, right? Mm. Not just telling stories, right? So while I would love to just be an oracle walking around the streets of Syracuse helping people, that that would be very natural for me. Um, that doesn't make for a good business necessarily, right? Mm. So. Um, I need to have methodology. I need to have an email, a website, people book appointments. There's a structure, right? And so that kind of behavior is less natural to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my strength is awesome, you know? And so I would rather just use inspiration speak as the only tool. But what I've learned through being coached myself is that, you know, those analytical skills, the measured ways of looking at things, having structure is also Important when running a business, right? Even though my strength is inspiration.
1: I love that. Tell me more about the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious. That's so awesome. Tell me more about the pain most people are experiencing isn't real and it's caused by them. Unpack that. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so this is where I
0: dropped the mic and maybe lose some listeners. No,
1: I'm like <laughs> on the edge I of my seat. Feelings
0: aren't that. Feelings are not facts, they're data, they're data. Mm. And too many of us, and I think this is its its own pandemic and epidemic in and to itself, um, is that people don't recognize, one, what they're feeling. That's right. Okay, and some people recognize what they're feeling but they don't do anything with that data, Mm. all right? And so those people are causing their own issues. Mm. So let me give you an example if I um, worry about my neighbor because they don't have red money and I give them all of my red money, right? Now they're going to have red money for next month, but I won't. Mm. While it was very altruistic and kind to do that, I over and I put myself in harm's way, right? And so our feelings aren't facts. <laughs> mm. It might be sad and disappointing that my neighbor doesn't have the rent money. But I, I if I'm going to help, maybe I could ask them what I could do to support them to help them versus give away my money in order to help them if I don't have it to give. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, maybe they're going to be my roommate. <laughs> maybe that's another way. <laughs> but like, again, the this uh, lack of analysis of what really feeling um, and feelings become directive, that mm-hmm. was never what was intended for the human species. We were never meant to have feelings be directed.
2: Mm.
0: Okay? There is some level of discernment you need to understand your feelings and look at the data of that. You know, a lot of my knowledge about that comes from Dr. Susan David, who wrote a book called Emotional Agility. She has a famous TED Talk where she talks about this. Mm. And uh, when, she, oh, when I first saw her TED Talk that, and she said feelings aren't back, I was washing the floors of my office.
2: <laughs> and
0: I sat upright, as I was listening to this with spongy, you know, the sponges soap wow. running down my arms, like, oh my gosh, that's what I say. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's, you know, uh, powerful, you know, but mm. I, I, when working with uh, clients, you know, I help them understand, well, then what are your, what are you supposed to do with your feelings? Right. Um, but that, to answer your question about pain, um, even Ayano Van Zant has a great, um, she uses pain as an acronym and she says uh, pay attention inward now. Love it. Pay attention inward now. Uh, that's her phrase. Uh, pain is that cause what's going on, what you're experiencing is happening inside of you. You might've been reacting to something, but where the pain is or where you have some choices to take care of your feelings, it's really what's happening inside of you. And so so just to connect it to like you shared at uh, you know how do you, what work do you do with people? Well, the first part is human behavior, looking at behavior, and then we get into human condition stuff, which is understanding our feelings and what to do with other people's feelings, and that really is what emotional intelligence is.
1: Mm. That's amazing. You that's so helpful. I, and and I think of my own journey to some degree. Of course, I do. Right? <laughs> but the, sure. Well, but, yeah. but the 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 journey from for me, was, you know, fairly, uh, I'm being too kind, pretty emotionally unaware for most of my, you know, It just kind of turned them off, right? Like, I don't need those damn emotions. Um, and mm-hmm. I'll perform and act and play a part, and, uh, subconsciously, sure, um, and, and, and asleep to lots of the, the deeper emotions that were always there. I remember, uh, I've told this story before, I think, but um, I, I, I woke up, for several days in a row and like my chest was hurting. And I was yeah. like, "Brooke, and Brooks my wife was like, "Brooke, I think I'm I think I'm having a heart attack." I'm like, "Heart heart disease is in the family and the whole thing." And yeah. so we like go get this stress test at the hospital up the street. And they came back and they're like and I'm obviously condensing the story. Came back and they're like, "Well, look, like your heart's in great shape. Everything's fine." Um but you probably have anxiety." I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> there's no, no way there no weird people have anxiety. i don't have anxiety mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and then you know the temptation could be then to swing once the for me once the door's kind of got kicked in and there's some life circumstances that also i created um that that uh, that forced me kicked me into the well of dealing with my own stuff and doing mm-hmm. that work um then to your point yeah then you can almost swing to that whole other side and the feelings become the 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 how do you phrase it is so perfect feelings are facts but they're also not the they're not the direction Directive. the directives yeah and like that is a tricky dance to figure out oh pay attention to the feeling be aware of them don't shut them yeah. off and numb them and cope but but also like have some resiliency and have some uh, ways that you can work through your feelings. And, and one, one way that, that I've heard that I, I feel it resonates here in this conversation is, you know, your emotions are much more like weather patterns or the weather vein, right? Like they're going to come in, they're going to come out, they're, and, but they're all a signal to point you to something that's going on for you internally. So as you like move leaders into that emotional intelligence stage, what are, you know, some some key themes or, or areas or modules that you walk them through and help them help them on that.
0: Journey. Yeah. The, uh, piece you said there too, I want to just back up one second and just say that, um, cause you use the word numbing. A lot of people do, a lot of men do, and Brene Brown talks about numbing as it's a great solution <laughs> to stop feeling, That's right. but guess what? Numbing doesn't choose which feelings, uh, it, uh, mm. will stop. Mm. It's all feeling. So we also get rid of joy. That's
1: right.
0: Happy. <laughs> That's right. So like numbing as a strategy is never a good tool, mm. right? We, have to, we want to always understand our feelings. But I wanted to just pick up on what you said about numbing. Because a lot of people do resort to numbing and they think that that is a strategy.
1: Yeah, it's and, not, it, and, and numbing numbing can be, man, I worked 16 hours today. So I don't have to have a hard conversation at home. Or mm-hmm. numbing, numbing could be... Man, I, that's ate, right. I ate my way through nachos that's right. for 1130, and it doesn't have to just that's be the right. like crazy stuff we see on TV or whatever. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, any, anyhow, and yeah, well piece, said.
0: The other piece that you said, too, and I, and I, I say the exact same thing, which is kind of cool. Um, I think of just um, our internal environment, you have to act as the meteorologist. Mm. Mm. So when you said weather, that's exactly right. So you we are all our own meteorologists and so if we know it's going to rain because we're starting to feel lousy or something then bring an umbrella mm. <laughs> wear a raincoat right but that's the sort of thinking and resolution that takes care of those feelings mm. right and um, most people do and i'm going to make a reference to the first Austin Powers movie. So I'm dating myself a little bit here. So there's a great part in Austin Powers one of the first few scenes where uh, Austin and his co-patriot are in the steamroller, all right. And they're in this like big warehouse and there's like a security guard that's saying stop, all right. And the security guard is like saying stop and the steamroller is going very slow. And then the camera pans out and you see the security guard is about a hundred feet away, right? Yeah. The next scene, you just hear the crunch of the security guard because the steamroller, you know, uh, you know, did his job and <laughs> run him down, but like he could have totally gotten out of the way. Mm. Right. Mm. Too many people see the steamroller and don't get out of the way. Mm. Right. And so that's what I mean by navigating that internal experience, self-managing, um, would be a component of what emotional intelligence is. It's it's making sure that you address your feelings internally. Most of us have not learned this. Most of us think that what's happening outside of us has to be the thing that needs to be solved, which then will solve our own feelings. It's actually an independent process that needs Mm. to be the case. So if you're going to be highly emotionally intelligent, um, one of the factors would be taking care of your own feelings. So Mm. I tend to say to clients, there's always two things that we're doing when something bad happens, <laughs> taking care of how we feel about it and then taking care of it, right? And so, you know, I like an emotional intelligence to, you know, the body being sort of a series of plum, plumbing um, that we're taking care of. So emotional plumbing, but the water has to flow right through, you know? And so when we have strong feelings, feelings, thoughts about ourselves, they're meant to leave us. We're not meant Mm. to hold on to them, Mm. right? And too many of us get clogged and think that we're supposed to have a clog, right? It's how we get our fuel and our tenacity to do something. Um, And that's actually not most effective. We're meant to sort of, you know, pass through these things. Uh, Another great uh, book out there is uh, Untethered Soul uh, by Michael Singer. He Mm -hmm. talks about this, um, that, our minds is attracted to sort of like the mishagas of drama and things that are going on with people. And oftentimes we attach ourselves to all of that. So something, you know, a conversation gets loud at work or an issue starts to happen and then all of us get involved emotionally in all of that. And he says, we're meant to sort of take a step back from that, lean away and let it pass right through. And he says, the quiet one will know what to do. Right. But a lot mm, of us are attracted that. to the lure of like what's happening. Oh, someone yelled at Justin today, <laughs> Let's mm. see what's going to happen next. Mm. It's like, uh, you know, the real housewives of
1: <laughs> Liberty, Missouri, you know, the company. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. you know, but like we have to grow beyond that sort of methodology as a professional, in my opinion, to really acknowledge how we're feeling about something mm. first, so that we don't bring into the chemistry of what's going on with other people some bad juju and you know, you know, sentiment that hasn't been resolved yet with us. You That's know, amazing. so always do two things is what I tend to say to people. If something is happening, resolve it with you first and then and then pivot to what's going on in front of you. Mm-hmm.
1: That's well said there's two two things that pop to my mind and one, one maybe they'll both make you laugh I don't know um, the first is there's a there's a rapper I like his name's NF it's Nate something but NF is just what he goes by and there's a song he um, sings raps whatever and one of one of the lyrics and I, I was gonna google it while we were talking and then it's too distracting um, but he talks about he talks about this very thing about the the plumbing of the emotional, body of the body and Mm -hmm. he talks about trying to to submerge it to trying to hold it underwater um and and try to suffocate the thing the feeling the pain the whatever and and then of course as it always does he says um but it comes out of out of nowhere like an evil surprise so like all of that stuff it, it you literally it, the body does keep it. It holds it. It cares. It carries it quite physically. Yeah. The, the body yeah. keeps the score is a wonderful book that like scientifically explains way better what I'm trying to say. Yep. Um, but right. like it quite literally carries that trauma. Even if the trauma is like, oh, someone hurt my feelings at work. Like that's, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a trauma response that we carry with us. Um, and, and it quite literally, like you said, has to get moved through <laughs> and so um, right. the 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 other one that that popped to my mind when you were um referencing you know kind of that that and that's so helpful but the first response is to like look inward and take responsibility for your own story your own emotions your own feelings um I felt like a weirdo honestly when I started I stumbled across um the work by Byron Katie. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. my gosh, what's wrong with me? Like I'm leading this company and I'm listening to this, you know, kind of crazy kooky gal from California talking about weird stuff, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And, and it is in her – she is brilliant, by the way. I'm like talking about totally. self, not her, uh, my, mm-hmm. own, my own judgments. But she talks about the work being like you just ridicule and rip and judge all of these th- – things in your mind and they really are all about you. (laughs) Like when you, when you turn them back to yourself and you, you replace, you know, I feel this way about Mike or Colin or Brooke or Gary or whoever, Mm -hmm. it really all is saying it's a projection about my own insecurities and fears. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering, like when you help people see that it's gotta be rewarding for you and the light bulbs go off for folks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, in doing this work, it's also enriching. So mm. one of the areas I had to work with my coach on was self-management, the very thing we're talking mm. about, right? Because I believed I was the strong one and can solve everything without worrying about how I felt. <laughs> well, two ulcers later, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not going to work. So there is actually a reinforcing mechanism When you're helping people, you actually solve some of the things for yourself. So a lot of people who become therapists and social workers and coaches in this helping sort of arm of our society, you actually end up helping yourself, too. That's why a lot of people are drawn to it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Not for healing purposes. Now, some people do it for healing purposes. And I would say that that's not accurate. That's not something that we should do. You should come into this profession healed. But it is enriching to help others. And when you help someone else with their skills, you reinforce your skills.
2: Mm.
0: So that, that I'm excited always to work with people because I'm like, I'm bettering also myself and my abilities because I'm helping someone else overcome their fears and get excited. I too am overcoming my fears and becoming excited. You know, Mm. that's Mm. sort of the benefit of sort of this profession because you can really see the results with folks and then it reinforces your skills and abilities to help them with that stuff.
1: Mm, that's amazing. Um, if you, and I know it's impossible to like, to put, put all of these humans in buckets, but like general learnings or awareness, like Pete, like big, you know, the 80, 20 stuff of like people mm-hmm. come to see you. What are, what are some, you know, big consistent themes that you help businesses? Cause my, the question I wrote down on my paper was, why does this matter? Right? Like, why does this work? Yeah. Of the emotional intelligence, of uh, the self awareness, of the self responsibility—like, why does any of this matter in the context of business?
0: Yeah, well, I have to tell you something too in regards to marketing proper. All right, um, because I know a lot of folks who listen to this podcast are in marketing, hmm. and what I will say is, marketing is no different than um, human psychology. Yeah, that's
2: right. That's right.
0: And human psychology is marketing, right? we want to elicit a behavior from other humans, whether yeah. it's to buy our products, uh, talk about our products and services, and what have you. And so what I just sort of discovered in getting a psych degree is that I'm a good marketer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for marketing for sure, you're a professional in the marketing world, you have to pay attention to the things that we're talking about, you mm-hmm. have to.
2: Amen. Because
0: it's the bare minimum of what you're trying to achieve with your clients and keep your business growing and thriving, mm. right? Because the same elements of what we're trying to achieve behaviorally in sales and clicks and all the rest is in fact predictable human behavior, mm. right? Mm. So there is sort of this enmeshment of that, you know, as that's that, um, uh, part mm. of it for marketing people proper. And there tends to be, um, frankly, marketing people who are pretty good at psychology,
2: yeah. <laughs> yep. even though
0: they didn't get psych degrees. But as a general matter for business, you know, what we're seeing through the great resignation um, and uh, and and maybe some other waves of some things coming is that people don't want to work with assholes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so we're seeing it across the board. And, I, you know, I tell you, I, I've seen this for years myself and I saw the writing on the wall and um, most tension at work. Um, this is from Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. Um, the most of the tension at work is between productivity and morale, mm. right? And so you've got the morale police people, you know, worried about how we're all feeling and our values. And then you got the productive people trying to make money and doing yeah. things accurately. Yeah. And so behaviorally, we all sort of line up. We all line up on one of these sides. Yeah. And so the tension at work is between the productive people and the morale people, the feelings people. Now, I have... I will admit I am a feeler, 100%. Mm. <laughs> I care about people and feelings. You know, when you called for today, I was like already thinking about how is he feeling? Is this going to be a good thing? <laughs> right. I my heart asshole? Goes, okay. <laughs> right. And yeah. so this natural tension is what every business needs to solve. Mm. All right. And for the longest time in business, productivity rules, right? You, we all know the asshole who everyone's like, uh, they make all the money for the business, but everyone's like, oh, well, yeah. that's just so-and-so, yeah. right?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, post-COVID, that's not going to be the thing anymore. People yeah. are going to leave. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> They're not going to be okay with that. We have to have some sort of decorum, and um, otherwise our businesses are going to close. Yeah. You know? And so the quick answer is we need to espouse our values. Right, and I know a lot of, and I know you do this work. You know, you create wonderful websites <laughs> who have these great value mm. statements. But if you were to investigate that company and find out how many people are behaving those values,
2: mm.
0: it'd be cricket. Mm. It'd be cricket. Mm. Right, because a lot of the things that we do or espouse about our business is the value proposition for their clients or partners.
1: Yeah, that's right, not, not for themselves.
0: Not how we treat each other yeah. in that business. Yeah. Yep. And so that's the reckoning that's happening right now, you know, and I think for businesses that are paying attention to that, they don't have to hire Mike Scro. they just need to do their live their values. Mm. Live their values.
1: Mm.
0: Live your values.
1: That's great. And and is the, the the very nature of the the of the dichotomy here really? It's like, "Oh, you're either you either have to be full of feeling and morale and driving morale, or you have to be heartless and soulless and productive, right? Like the, the very like, um, dang it. I'm, I'm blanking on the word I'm trying to find in my brain, but the, but the, the very nature of that opposition is like, there is a third way. There is a way where both of those things can be celebrated. And I'm wondering how, how does that emerge and where does that come from?
0: Yeah. I I think it's, It's doing both at the same time. Yeah, that's right. Right? So when you're making a decision for the company, it's not just what the client needs. It's also whether or not that employee can can Mm. pull it off. Mm. (laughs) Right? And so once we start making decisions that way, and again, living the values, you know, I could have said earlier, uh, as just a quick answer, you know, most of the times when people have troubling feelings or feelings that are getting in the way of success. Um, what we need to discern is why am I feeling this way? Right? So if there's something going wrong in our business, why is it happening? Let me, let me try to understand the feelings of everybody here and myself. And then just act in your values, Mm -hmm. right? Act in your values. You will be closer to the solution when you act in your values, right? Now, when we say values, you know, we use words like respect, integrity. But here's the thing. Not everyone delivers respect and integrity the same. Mm -hmm. So for organizations that want to thrive, they have to put clear expectations on those words or the values that they have, because it's left open to interpretation, even if people are trying to do it, Mm -hmm. because your version of respect might be very different than my version of respect. And so I find that folks, organizations that are working on their culture are examining their behaviors um, as part of that culture, right? So what normally happens in the culture is our culture. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's not one person. It's what, what happens mostly. Right. And, you know, oftentimes it's not the CEO, um, who's the one in the wrong here (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they're one person. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a team of people who are all behaving badly, one CEO, Um, whose behavior might be very optimistic and positive isn't most of the culture. Mm -hmm. Most of the contributions are coming from the employees, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of ways I try to help organizations to look at what's your behavior, because that's the culture. And if you want to change the culture, you have to change your behavior. The behavior has to all be values oriented and, uh, and you will become more successful, right? Because it'll be a zero tolerance, for yelling at meetings, right? Whatever the example we could come up (laughs) with, right? Because we're all gonna live in a different way, we're gonna treat each other the way that they wanna be treated. So I I coached the Platinum Rule. Mm. Um, I forgot John's last name, who came up with the Platinum Rule book. But most people do Golden Rule. They wanna treat others the way that they wanna be treated. But again, because we're so different um, behaviorally, we have to treat others how they wanna be treated. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if we could live the platinum rule at work um, and the decisions we make, how we treat each other. Um, and I just had a whole bunch of like jargon.
2: <laughs> no, it's not
0: jargon <laughs> and at so all. It's is, so it takes, helpful. it takes time to un- unpack all that. You know yeah. what I mean, those are just sort of the quick answers.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, pra- like real world, I, I was in a-, a sales gig, was doing well. Boss rolled into the conference room gathered us you know gathered gathered the sales team we maybe as a team weren't collectively hitting our numbers and this individual said you are an embarrassment to said organization yeah. <laughs> no instantly in the you know we all have these moments where I was like can't wait to start my own thing I'll never never say say that to someone right like I'll never mm-hmm. shame and, and and what's interesting even as you're talking i'm thinking about our own team and our own culture and like sure. I, we we are we are maybe i mean i I'd put us up against um i don't i don't know of another bigger hearted higher morale more bunch of feeling you know empathetic amazing humans and sometimes honestly like we probably um ignore the product pr- productivity side not not like not in the sense of we don't care and we sure. don't want to do great work right sure. but like in the oh well, like we treated each other really well, and we treated our clients really well, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like I think what you're saying is when when both are honored, when both are given space, when both are given um, awareness, and and to your point, when they when they all are supported by living into your values, not just stating them and putting them on the website, um, it it actually goes better. <laughs> like you actually yeah. do have healthier employees, you have healthier client relationships and you make more money and the thing grows. All of those things are true. That's like, right. That's cool. That's right. That's right. That's right. Boom. I love it. Um, I want you, we've, we've got about five minutes with you left and, and then we got to, we got to end with our final five. I would, it you know, whatever comes to mind, it would be fun I think to understand or see, you know, you you started this conversation with these concepts of unlocking and transforming. Uh, we've mm-hmm. talked a ton about the unlock, which I think is wonderful. We could probably spend like six days together asking these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I would love that, by the way. Um, but I, I was going say the same thing. Wow, yeah, uh, who, who's yeah? It's, it's amazing the the transformation side. Like, how how have you seen? Individuals, cultures, companies, teams, whatever. Like when, when, when you think of transformation, um, what stories pop into your mind?
0: Yeah. And let me, let me just first say what transformation is. Um, it's habit. Mm. It's habit, right? And so what, what's transformational is being able, able to work with an individual organization and say what are the current habits? And then what do you want? What are the goals? And then orienting new habits <laughs> mm. to get to those goals. Because it's really just about habits. It's just about habits. And so, um, you know, what I share with folks, too, in regards to that, in sort of breaking that down, is that most of our behavior is driven by our unconscious.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Most of our behavior, because our unconscious is designed to protect us.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Okay? And so that's that limbic system that we have, that primordial part of the brain. And you know, when things get caught up in there, it's fight, flight, freeze. And most occasions at work, those are probably not the option,
2: yeah. yep. right?
0: So transformation really looks like being able to think with the frontal lobe and process, problem solve, take a step back, don't react, breathe, mm. right? Uh, the brain is tricky because it needs air. <laughs> in <laughs> these oxygen to work and most of us are doing shallow breathing when mm. we're stressed out mm. and so deep breathing helps with that and allows us a space to problem solve something and not hit somebody upside the head how come you don't know that you know or whatever the reaction might be but just that that transformation is a shift in our habit mm. it's a shift in our habit and uh and again the feelings will take us down a path if we think, you know, like, I'll, you know, a good example earlier when we were talking about what to do with feelings. Here's a bad example. We stub our toe, we punch the wall. <laughs> right? Like, that's the most primordial way to wrestle with the fact that you felt pain. Yep. Right? In the workplace, you can't do that. Mm. <laughs> mm. That's not optimal. Right? And, but many of us will punch back emotionally. Yep. We'll punch back. And the worst thing you could do is ignore people at work, Mm. Mm. right? So we think of things as as being just outright, like behavioral issues that are, are seen. The one I think I'm most concerned about right now is people who are being ignored,
2: Mm.
0: right? So I don't care about you. Mm. (laughs) I don't validate you. Right. And so that's not, you know, I call that non behavior. Mm. It's where behavior is expected and none actually happen.
2: Yeah.
0: And that non behavior, I think, is more um, hurtful to particularly feelers. Yeah. Particularly feelers. Because, mm. like, I want to be seen. <laughs> mm. Mike Scrow wants to be seen, thought of, recognized, mm. felt. Um, because I'm emotional. I'm an emotional human being. And so I want to be heard, I want to be validated. And um, that's sort of a a step I cover with people around empathy. Um, And this is around some work that Daniel Goldman did. He talks about three different types of empathy. And because I just like to make things simple for people uh, and accessible, it's basically, I see you, I feel you, I help you. Mm. And if we can do those three things in combination or at least one of those, every time we communicate with someone, and I don't care if you're communicating over email, over Zoom, Morse code or smoke signals. If you can do, I see you, I feel you, I help you, you will be more effective in solving what's going on. Mm. Does that, that person be heard, seen, felt, understood? And we're moving forward as a society very dangerously right now because we're letting agreement be the only source of uh, understanding. Yep. You know, I if I'm at work. I want people who disagree with me there because I've had blind spots too.
2: Yeah, that's right, that's right.
0: (laughs) And I want people to see things very differently than just the way I see it, and so because that can make us more money or be more advantageous. Um, But our inability to navigate that space of agreement, disagreement is troubling, you know? And so empathy is the answer to that because its outcome is, is understanding. Yeah. You know, empathy is a tool um, understanding is the outcome. Yeah. And we need more of that.
1: Yeah. Amen. More, more, more. Amen. Amen. Yeah. There's a, um, there's an author I love. And as I say that, I'm like, what's his name? <laughs> uh, which obviously, uh, is, is a funny way to talk about an author you love. Um, he actually introed me to Byron Katie, come on, um, Jim Detmer and Ooh. his, his leadership book. He has a quote in his book. I think you'd really like him if you haven't stumbled across him yet. Um, he talks tons about breathing talks about tons about awareness um but one of his lines in there is so profound with what you just said he's he basically and i'll I'll butcher it so don't quote me on it um but he essentially says hey there's a field beyond right and wrong and i'd love to meet you there and Mm -hmm. and it's this like invitation into empathy it's in the like hey, I, I do, I see you, I, I, I hear you, and I, and, I, and I help you. And, like, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that we're going to make the same decision given the same set of context, right? Like, we may do something totally different that doesn't make you right or me wrong or vice versa necessarily. Um, but, like, let me understand you where you're coming from. And, man, um, holy smokes, I, I've been in, like um, – you know, I'm in, I'm still in elementary school learning that stuff because it's, it it didn't come easy for me. I I sat, uh, in a, in a counselor's office with my wife and he, I've shared this before, but like he asked me to repeat and, and like say back to what my wife was feeling, what she was experiencing. And I literally Mm -hmm. sat there with like no words in my and which is hard for me to do. (laughs) I sat there and I was like, I don't know what the hell to say. Like, I all I want to do right now is defend or convince or tell her that she's wrong and I'm right, or I saw it this way. She should, she should see it my way. And he was like, no, take a breath, go slow. What's it like for her? And, and I was like, uh, <laughs> can, you, can you model it for me, Rick? And he did, and he did it wonderfully. And it was that, that, that moment where I was like, good night. I, um, and, and obviously millions of other folks have a long way to go to understanding it's not about right and wrong it's not just about agreement it's not about just the black and white stuff um Mm -hmm. and and man like it's uh it's powerful at work and i've told my wife that a million times i'm like that lesson on that couch like i bring that thing into every conversation with a client every tricky situation with a with an employee and just last friday i was working from home and the office door was cracked just a little bit. And she was sitting out, out on the dining room table doing her own work. And she pops in real quick and she's like, what's going on? I'm like, what do you mean? And she was like, I just heard you take a massive deep breath. <laughs> and I said, I did? She's like, yeah. She She's like, I heard it from the dining room. She's like, what happened? And I was like, oh, well, we're, yeah, we're navigating this thing. And I guess I... I guess I took a huge deep breath before I responded to the message. And and it is, I mean, you're, to, to kind of, like, come full circle, like, that awareness and habit, um, man, good night, I've got a long way to go, but, like, the, those things that you do every day um, are, are quite literally transforming companies around the country, and and, and you should be... I know you, you don't need it or asking for it, but like bro, I see you and you're doing amazing work. It's amazing what you you get to do with folks. oh um, uh, goodness. So my my last my last question and then we're we're um then we're gonna wrap it up. When you say habits, it feels mm-hmm. like <laughs> it feels like, oh, man, it really does come back to like the day to day, like build a string of stuff that like changes functionally what I do. How do you help people embrace that simplicity, but also acknowledge how freaking hard that is to actually do?
0: It? Yeah, yep, that's right. Uh, well, to see this as um, real, cause we're talking about qualitative things. And so people who are more five sense oriented versus intuition based mm. think I'm crazy. because they're not leaning in hearing what I'm saying from an emotional standpoint. They're only like, give me the prescription for what you're saying. I'm like, well, it's sort of like thinking about like working with a trainer at the gym where they're asking you to do crunches, but then they're saying, you know, we want you to go 30 degrees in this direction on the next crunch, right? So it is nuanced. It's like taking a sickle. Um, people take a sickle to some of this stuff when they should be taking a scalpel. Mm. All right, so we're looking at nuance. We're looking at high performers who have to do nuance. All right, so when you hire a coach when you're going to the Olympics.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: All right, you hire a coach when you go into the Olympics. I want excellence. And at that level, it is hard. Okay? when yes. I got coached, it was hard. I didn't want to change. Mm. I thought I was right. About all my things, you know, and just going to inspire people, and that's it, you know. Well, no, you got to have some outcomes. You got to have some tools and analysis and methodology and structure, right? So, first is just sort of understanding what habits are for and knowing that habits take time to build and that um, it isn't just one thing. Like, I wish I could tell people, hey, everyone listening, just do these two things and you're going to be fine. No. We, we don't live in a world where just do two things works for everything, mm. right? you got to do nuance. you got to do nuance. And so, mm. and, and a lot of the clients I work with, it's not just one new habit. They need. <laughs> We're talking about 15 to 20 new oh, habits, that's right. right? Because they're replacing these uh, older habits that are less effective with newer habits that are going to be more effective for them, you know? And then most of it is just doing nuance, very specific to the person who you know I'm working with, uh, no one performance plan is going to be the same. It's always going to be a little bit different. Um, so we're doing nuance, um, and most typically, people who are high performers have uh, or an orientation towards success. They want to be better, mm. and they're willing to do it. So I think in order for sort of any coaching, training, development to work, the person has to be in on it. They need to be motivated. You have to have a growth mindset. Love it if you don't no matter like I could come in I could work I could be paid a lot of money to go in and spend two hours doing something with a group or a team and I say this to the team up front um, this is not transformational
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> transformation can't happen in two hours Yeah.
2: Yep.
0: right I can give you some tools I can give you some insights and paradigms to work from like platinum rule treat others how they want to be treated but that doesn't mean anything if you don't do nuance <laughs> if okay. you don't understand what that means you know what I mean and, um, and I think that we're on a, a journey right now. And I think a lot of companies and organizations are paying attention more to the things that we're talking about today, uh, particularly with empathy, uh, as a tool. And empathy is not just be kind. You know, if I could close out with saying, uh, empathy is not just about be kind to other people. Uh, empathy is the reverse thing that we're talking about in terms of understanding your own feelings and your data. It's a way to pick up other people's data. That's right. Yeah. Right. And understand that because kindness may not be the, the behavior you need to elicit when picking up other people's uh, data, yeah. you know. And so empathy is truly understanding how someone feels, not so much necessarily acting and being positive or something like that.
2: Totally.
0: Just, right. You have the so empathy in itself isn't just kindness. That's right. And I think, again, if you don't know that. You're going to hear a word and have one answer. That's just be kind to everybody I work with. You know, like, (laughs) all right, sure, let's start there. You know, but that's why this work is not just the work of any organization. It should be in school. We need to be adjusting our curriculum, (laughs) right, at every level in our society. Um, Because now employers are faced with doing all the work, all the heavy lifting on this. Because it doesn't exist prior to employment. Mm. You know, Mm. and so we need to really look at, and I can speak confidently of that because I worked 20 years at some premier universities and we weren't doing it. We were Mm. teaching people to teach the subject.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because the uh, pedagogy of higher education is to teach uh, physics to people who are going to teach physics, not work at NASA. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so we've got some work to do prior to folks getting into employment, but when it's there, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we want to talk about and encourage people through performance programs, through uh, onboarding processes, mentorship. I mean, it could go on and on.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it, and it should, it, it will, and it should go on and on. Cause it's, you're, you're exactly right. Like literally just scratching the surface with how not only beneficial it is, but like necessary, <laughs> like yeah. how yeah. fundamentally necessary, even in our own organization. And I think we're pretty like dialed into this stuff. Like we've got everybody's, kind of done the Enneagram. We have some fairly common language around emotional intelligence and health and empathy and like, and it's still freaking hard. And we, we, we are swinging in the dark lots of times, you know? So. Um, Justin, do you mind to add one more thing? Please, please. One more
0: thing, which is this. Um, policies are not going to solve human
1: issues.
0: Mm-mm. Policies are not going to solve human issues. Humans are going to right. solve human issues. I just have to say that for good measure.
1: No, that's it's a that's a wonderful mic drop. That's perfect. <laughs> so, all right, let's do. Uh, I I, I'm, I might and should ask you about a million other questions, but um, we'll we'll do that on, on another another episode. Yeah. So okay. the f- the final five, um, whatever comes to your mind, and then the theme of our conversation. No right or wrong answer. Just just uh, understanding. Um, what is the last book, or, or at least a book? That you would recommend? You've recommended a few even throughout the conversation, but last book you read yeah. or listened to?
0: Yeah, it's a book I actually just reread, um, and it came out I think 2018. It's called "The Coddling of the American Mind." Oh man, uh, the subtitle is "How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure." And so, what uh, Lukianoff and Hates, uh, the authors, are looking at is sort of what starts happening at college campuses. In 2013, they did some research and a lot of the things they precluded um, are actually now being talked about in the news. You know, Mm. like so with the Facebook, Instagram stuff that's going on, the Wall Street Journal's article in terms of leaked documents, they were doing some of this work back then Mm. in terms of research to understand how social media was affecting young girls and young Mm. people in general. Trend mm-hmm. and sort of seeing that through the lens of college campuses. And so it's, it's a must read for any parent, but now every employer, uh, I just reread it so I could be more versed in terms of what they were trying to achieve in, in, uh, getting this book out there.
1: Man, I, I haven't heard of that, but I, I, I will read it because, um, I mean, personally we're raising five humans and four of which mm. are, are, uh, three of which are teenage women uh one, one is will be one soon she thinks she is <laughs> but like <laughs> um I, I and 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 candidly i was really slow to the draw here to the party my my wife's been on it for a decade but she's like this is this is literally like we're literally handing crack cocaine to these kids like it's um it it is a massive i don't want to get too deep into it but like it is a massive conversation at our home almost daily about the healthy because again you you can swing to a huge extreme it's like nope never can't ever turn the thing on and zero social media which again like people that make that choice Mm -hmm. great um Mm -hmm. or the total free-for-all and so we're trying to find some medium ground of like man what's the healthy (laughs) when Mm -hmm. let's just say this if i was 17 with that thing like it would have been it would have been a disaster like Mm -hmm. um and talk about Mm -hmm. the the me-centered like you're quite literally staring at yourself all the time, taking pictures of yourself. It's like, it's just, That's right. That's uh, right. of course, you know, Bo Burnham says it so wonderfully. Like, did we expect this would go well? <laughs> did we think mm-hmm. this was going to go well? Um, all right. Number two, what is your favorite t-shirt? The one that I have or just any the, the uh, type of t-shirt? Um, I typically go first with first the one, t-shirt. with the one you have. Like if it was a slow Saturday morning, what would you, what would you throw on? Yeah. I'm probably
0: wearing one of my Star Trek shirts.
1: Boom. Yeah.
0: I love Star Trek. I'm a Trekker, not a Trekkie. That could be a whole other (laughs) podcast to know the difference. I I don't want to get into it now because someone will be offended.
1: That's awesome. So,
0: uh, yeah, probably a Star Trek shirt.
1: That's awesome. Um, What would you do right now if you weren't afraid?
0: So I had to think about this because (laughs) I'm I'm rather fearless. (laughs) Mm. And so I think if if I really were to do that, something I was afraid of would probably just slow it down. Mm. Slowing it down makes me afraid.
1: Yeah, me too. Because
0: I move fast. I I just sort of go with the current. Uh, I try to truly be a leader, and I think leaders oftentimes have to step in it first to get yeah. you know sort of beat up,
2: <laughs> yeah. say the
0: thing. And so I think if I was leaning into what I was afraid of, would be really slowing it down and uh, being more measured, maybe not being the first to say something. Um,
1: I get that. Probably that. Yep, I get that one for sure. Me too. Um, Favorite place on earth?
0: Favorite place on earth is um, New York City, Central Park, Bethesda Fountain.
1: That's a good spot.
0: (laughs) Uh, um, The angel that is, uh, the art that's there, the angel that's the statue, it's called the um, Angel of Waters. And I have spent many an hour there. I live in New York City for 10 years. And um, it's the most centering place for me. I I find all good things come from that space.
1: Mm. I haven't spent much time in New York City, but my gosh, what a brilliant foresight strategic like center to use your point centering decision to save that Uh, land back in the day. Uh, All right. Last one, my friend, when it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? That was not as easy as the t-shirt. Sorry. I know it's it's (laughs) not, you know, and I think
0: there's so many, like, I don't, I, I also, okay, just to, <laughs> I'm going to hack the question a little bit. I, I'm so into social media and technology mm-hmm. that I don't think I'm actually going to be gone after I'm gone, if you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying. I hear you. So I'm going to have a living mausoleum, <laughs> like, you'll walk up, you'll say your name, it'll have a video that's just for you. So like, great. I you. Like, I'm like, freaky this way. I'm really thinking about, like, what's my brand after I die? <laughs> Yeah, this could be a great business opportunity Dude, for everyone listening like, totally. to consider sort of like legacy and like uh, w- recording videos. Seriously I have so brilliant. It's
2: like seriously after brilliant. I die.
0: Like it's already scheduled. So um, <laughs> I so scheduled I my guess, tweets
1: out for eternity. Thanks.
0: <laughs> I guess if, if anything, just, just my unorthodox nature, like there isn't just one straight line to everything, right? It's not just one answer to stuff and that I – question stuff and yeah. thought critically about it and was unorthodox. I, I hope that would be the thing.
1: That's wonderful, man. That's such a brilliant answer and a great way to end it. Um, where can folks follow along? Your story we will link obviously to your website in different places, but um, yeah, where, where would you point folks to hear yeah, about the MoxGrow uh, like
0: story? com and all the socials, you know, I'm on all the things all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Mike, this has uh, been immensely valuable to me personally. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm, really grateful for your, uh, your character, your heart, your care, the ways that you are helping people know how to people better. <laughs> so thank awesome. you, sir. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Of course. As always, thank you for listening. Your attention is super valuable. So thank you for giving it to us. If you're a fan of the show, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, when we get to share another great conversation with you, have a great week and let your life tell a meaningful story.